Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following book reviews are from the September 1997 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Masonic Art and Artifacts It takes a rich and deeply rooted organization to inspire works of literary and musical genius, like Goethe's Werther or Mozart's The Magic Flute, with the insights of its philosophy and, at the same time, to inspire artisans of diverse crafts to decorate homes and common articles of daily life with its symbols. But regarding the latter, that is exactly what Freemasonry has done, as the following books illustrate. Washington Alston, Secret Societies and the Alchemy of Anglo-American Painting by David Bajelajak. I'm still trying to learn how to look at paintings. The skill has not been easy to acquire, and I shamefully admit a fondness for Victorian problem paintings. A fact which my friends who know art forgive me, but which they regard as being at about the same level as eating peas with one's knife. So I'm glad when I find a book which helps me understand an artist. This is a fascinating book. Although Professor Bajelajak has found no evidence that Alston himself was a mason, it is clear that many of his patrons were. More than that, however, Dr. Bajelajak shows how the alchemical themes, colors, and treatments used by Alston fit into the tradition of the so-called ancient mysteries, which fascinated many Masons in the 1800s. This is not an especially easy book to read, but the information repays the effort. To demonstrate, consider this brief passage. Quote, Alston's Uriel expressed a Masonic universalism which claimed to encompass all Christian sects and denominations, as well as the Hermetic and Jewish Kabbalistic traditions. Uriel and the Sun immersed beholders not only in the alchemy of color and light, but also in history's intergenerational chain of prophets, magi, and other seekers of divine wisdom descended from biblical origins. End quote. The author has done his research on masonry in the late 1700s and 1800s, and he presents a great deal of information on the less mundane aspects of the fraternity. The book would be worth buying for that alone. But there's much more here, both about masonry and about art. I wish, however, that there were more illustrations and that they were in color. Also, I wish the author had assumed his audience would be made up of less knowledgeable readers than art experts an assumption which would have been fully justified in my case. But these are minor caveats. The book is a good addition to any fairly sophisticated Masonic library and a rich source of very interesting information on Freemasonry and art. Many Masons, for instance, do not realize how wide a range of articles for daily life have been decorated with Masonic symbols, especially in the 1800s. Masonic designs were even used by non-Masons. The rest of the books in this review will provide a good sampling of these treasures. The next book is Material Culture of the American Freemasons by John D. Hamilton. Pricey book this, but worth the money. Hamilton provides descriptions and photographs of engravings from books about masonry, jugs decorated with Masonic symbols, 
patents, indeed a wide variety of artifacts. There are chapters dedicated to lodge furnishings, tracing boards and charts, fireplaces, stoves, lighting, and related paraphernalia, regalia, jewels, and swords, documents, ceramics, and glassware, and artifacts related to funeral and burial customs. There is carefully researched and written textual material in each chapter which explains the nature and uses of the objects and places them within their historical contexts. A landmark book when it was first printed in 1994, it is still a first-rate addition to a Masonic library. Collectors especially will want to own this handsome volume. Far less expensive but very much worth having are two museum books published by the Scottish Rite Masonic Museum of Our National Heritage in Lexington, Massachusetts. I can't give these little gems the space they deserve, but I think you will find them enjoyable and useful. First one is Fraternally Yours, A Decade of Collecting by Barbara Franco. This book is useful for many reasons. It gives good thumbnail sketches of many of the different fraternal organizations which flourished in America in the 1800s and helps to put them in a historical perspective. It also contains 96 photos of regalia, badges, furniture, china, personal effects, and the like, all decorated with fraternal emblems, mostly Masonic. The next one is Bespangled, Painted, and Embroidered, Decorated Masonic Aprons in America, 1790-1850, by Barbara Franco. The title tells the story. This is a collection of some interesting and beautiful Masonic aprons with some excellent textual descriptions. The book places the aprons in the context of American decorative arts. I've mentioned the following Masonic Service Association booklet before, but it's too useful a publication not to mention it again in the context of this review. And the final one is Artifacts and Gadgets by H. Wallace Reed, Masonic Service Association. The author, illustrious brother Reed, SGIG in South Carolina and Grand Minister of State of the Supreme Council 33rd Degree, presents a photographic collection with notes of such things as fobs, tumblers, and a very wide range of Masonic goodies. There are square encompasses, postage cancellation stamps from the days in which each postmaster carved his own cancellations to a wide variety of jewels, badges, watches, and other items. Fascinating stuff. The following book reviews are from the December 2017 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, written by James T. Tresner II, 33rd Degree Grand Cross, and the title of this section of book reviews is called Of Dinosaurs and Singing Swans. Brethren, this will be my last book review column. Increasing vision problems make it impractical to continue. It's been a lot of fun. I am especially grateful to Dr. S. Brent Morris, 33rd Degree Grand Cross, and the editor of the Scottish Rite Journal for all his help and patience, and to the remarkable staff in the journal office. What wonderful people. Before we get to the books, there are a few thoughts I want to take the opportunity to share. You will sometimes hear people insist that Freemasonry never changes. That is true in some ways. The great lessons do not change. The essence of what is to be found in the Blue Lodge, the Scottish Rite, the York Rite does not change. That essence is of critical importance to anyone who wants to live a meaningful life, and it is of even more critical importance to our society that there be men who understand and live from those lessons. The ritual has changed over the years, but it has been an evolution, not a revolution. And as the first book below will point out, ritual is necessary to society and to our daily lives. Far from being some artifact from the past, it is a living and vital part of us. 
rooted in the very physical structure of our brain, an anchor which helps to limit the wilder and more unhealthy swings to which the human personality is subject. What has changed most are the ways in which men use masonry, what we get out of it. It appears in the early days men used the fraternity primarily for sociability and safety. Sociability because it gave men a chance to meet and share ideas with other like-minded men, and safety because they were discussing ideas of science and the nature of man which were dangerous if discussed openly. We can forget how very real and present that danger was. Later, charity became a primary focus of the fraternity. For long and long there had been an obligation to help and protect other brothers, but now the charities expanded to cover many who were not members of the families or members. Almost all Masonic groups developed charitable purposes of one sort or another, some enormous in scope. At the same time, the social aspects and the mentoring aspects remained and are growing stronger. The lodge was where men met to learn from older men. Now we are seeing another change. Many of the younger men who are joining are doing so as a part of a personal quest for spiritual growth and development. They are asking the most fundamental of all questions. Who am I really? Know thyself is as much a goal for many of them as for the ancient candidate in Greece or Egypt. Freemasonry is not some dinosaur from the dusty past, preserved in the amber of fossilized bones displayed as curios in a museum. It is alive and working and undergoing a metamorphosis as it has done before. As it has always been true, it takes some work to fully experience its transformative richness, but the rewards are great. It is an exciting time to be a Mason. The first book is Interpreting Masonic Ritual by Patterson, oh, Oscar Patterson III, Ph.D., Brother Patterson has lived a varied life. He is a minister, a combat infantry officer, and a university professor and administrator. And he has written a remarkable book. Speaking about the importance of ritual in general, he wrote, The study of ritual has emerged over the past 30 years as a sound field for philosophical, academic, and theological discourse. Ritual is a living thing and is neither a cookie-cutter exercise nor a set of timeless practices fit only for curious observation and imitation in the modern world. It is a complex system of cultural constructions, traditions, self-expressions, theology transmitted esoterically, and symbolism. It is capable of transmitting through words and actions, which include a variety of role models, the rich density of human life. This text endeavors to briefly address the depth of the ritualistic experience through an historical and psychological analysis of ritual dynamics, what ritual means to man as well as what man means to ritual. Ritual is human behavior at its most, most perfect. It is spiritual, rational, and cultural. Ritual is not the direct result of any one human action or train of thought. It is not empty or hollow, but when properly performed in an appropriate environment, directly affects the human psyche in ways no other event can achieve. Ritual is at the core of Freemasonry and is that thing which sets us apart from so many social and fraternal organizations. It is the key to our secrets and the manner through which we transmit our beautiful system of morality. It is something to be treasured, maintained, taught, elevated, evaluated, and, above reinforced through proper performance, decorum, and setting. He then goes on to discuss ritual in Freemasonry and provides great insight. As an example, his discussion of the importance of predictability has helped me to understand why some brethren get so upset if a brother says which when the brother says that. I really recommend this book. And the next book is Freemasonry, A Journey Through Ritual and Symbol by Kirk McNulty. Brother McNulty is a well-known Masonic author whose books never fail to inform and delight. 
The illustrations are powerful and well-chosen. He is interested in the relationship between Freemasonry and the Western exoteric traditions and explores them here. If nothing else, the book would be valuable because it suggests that there is more than one way to think about Freemasonry. Yet there is much more than that in the few pages which make up this little book. If, as many believe, one purpose of the fraternity is to help answer that question, who am I really? McNulty shows some of the ways in which answers can be found. This obviously is not a new book, but it is one which continues to be read by new Masons, and one I think you will enjoy. We are at a disadvantage when it comes to understanding Masonic ritual, and indeed in understanding many books written before the mid-1800s. Many authors used a technique known as esoteric writing and had since the early days of civilization, in which what you say isn't always what you mean. We have become so accustomed to a cultural tradition in which the writer strives to be as clear as possible that it is hard for us to believe that throughout most of history, authors hid their real intention, hoping that the reader would be wise and careful enough to dig it out. As the Meltzer book below suggests, there were four major reasons for writing in that style. One was simple self-protection. Throughout most of human history, unpopular ideas were likely to get the writer in trouble with the church or with civil authorities, and unpopularity, which could literally prove fatal. Another reason was that the writer might fear his ideas would be so upsetting to society that he wanted to be sure only people of a more insightful mind would encounter them. Others wanted to produce revolutionary change, but feared that if they spoke too clearly, people might revolt against the change, limiting its chances. Still others saw such writing as a teaching tool which benefited the students who took the time to really work out what was being said. There were various ways in which writers signaled readers that they needed to read esoterically. Two of the more common were to make statements which were false, or to write something which did not make sense. Let me illustrate that by paraphrasing a lecture for the Entered Apprentice from my own jurisdiction. The candidate is told that his desired qualities are symbolized by chalk, charcoal, and clay. He is told that clay represents zeal. Now really, can you imagine telling someone that they should be zealous as a lump of clay? Makes no sense. And he is also told that the earth has never been unfriendly to man, and that it always returns an abundant harvest. Obviously false. Earthquakes kill people, and there are famines. So we know we need to think deeply about the symbolism in the lecture to discover what is really going on here. Here's the book. And the final book, Philosophy Between the Lines, The Lost History of Esoteric Writing, by Arthur M. Meltzer. So that is it. I truly hope that you will find Freemasonry as rich and deep and rewarding an experience as I have. Farewell on your Masonic journeys, brothers. Okay, the following book reviews are from the July 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. And the title of this round of book reviews is called Resalted Masonry by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree. When the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Many of us ask ourselves that about masonry from time to time. A problem erupts in Lodge where there should be nothing but peace and harmony, or we see too much more of the politics than is good for one who loves the institution, or we see brothers using masonry not as a quest for self-encounter and self-development, but rather for self-aggrandizement. One can become jaded and disillusioned enough to remove the comma from St. Paul's line, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Fortunately for us all, there are moments, sometimes in Lodge, sometimes in conversation with brethren, sometimes in books, which give back the savor. Let us approach masonry with new eyes, ears, and heart, and let us share anew in the remarkable wonder which is the craft. 
If your masonry needs a little resalting, the first book in this month's review will go a long way toward accomplishing it. Reflections, A Perspective on Brotherhood by James I. Miller, 1999. I wish I could claim to have written this book. It is a joy and a delight. Brother Miller describes it well in his introduction. This is not a book of research. Rather, it is, as the title would indicate, a book of my reflections on Freemasonry, the fraternity, and its body of beliefs and tenets. It is a summary of many hours of thoughts over many years, especially in the quiet, reflective moments during a long walk, while sitting by a quiet stream, rocking quietly before a warm fireplace, or even just driving to work. The book has a warm, pensive quality, which that description suggests. There is much food for thought here. You may agree or disagree with some of Brother Miller's reflections. I suspect he would, in Masonic generosity of spirit, welcome either. But it would be a cold heart indeed, which did not respond to his love of the fraternity. Just for the joy of it, let me share a few more passages. One who has never taken the degrees of Freemasonry, one who has never been a part of the fraternity, cannot possibly imagine or appreciate the revelation of brotherhood that is experienced in the course of a conferral of the degrees. Suddenly the veil of mistrust, which naturally separates all men from one another, is rent in twain by the deep, implicit message of the square encompasses. Suddenly men who are mere acquaintances are close friends, close friends are brothers, and brothers are transformed into an eternal union of thought and spirit of love. Suddenly the relationship of the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God is a reality, a light of knowledge bursting from the darkness of ignorance. We, as Freemasons, may describe someone or something, such as a historical or legendary event, as being Masonic due to his or its intrinsic value. We acknowledge that Masonry is not an idea or set of philosophies which we as modern individuals can claim to have developed. Rather, it is the sum total of the lessons which good men have learned since God lifted Adam from the dust of the earth, or since the first beast man lifted up his eyes to search the heavens for God and determined that it was the will of that unknown spirit that he should treat his fellow beings with respect and decency. Such a man is an original Mason. He is an internal Mason. If he chooses to enter the fellowship of Freemasonry, he will also become an external Mason, a member of the order. But if he chooses not to join the club, he will still be an original Mason. In that same spirit, every man who has ever considered the effect of his life, words, and actions upon his fellow creatures, and has tried to learn how to live in a more harmonious spirit with his God and his fellow man, has contributed to that body of brotherhood, which we now embrace as an organization, and those men who have demonstrated a particular insight into that body of knowledge have a special place in our hearts, from Moses, who gave us the most basic of commandments, to Jesus, who taught us how to apply them through the experience of love, to Muhammad, who taught us to burn with controlled passion in expectation of reward. Add to these Abraham, David, Solomon, St. John the Baptist, St. John the Evangelist, Ali, St. Francis of Assisi, Buddha, Confucius, Thomas Jefferson, and a million others, who, while not Masons, were Masons. They were and are our brothers, because from them we have learned what it means and what it takes to walk in the light of eternal knowledge, which is love. I really enjoyed this book. I think you would, too. And now for something completely different. A Young Person's Guide to Philosophy by Jeremy Wheat. Sneer if you will, but I find this book very helpful. It's a survey of philosophy written for children, and therefore within my mental grasp. It is difficult to start the study of philosophy without help. Pick up the Summa Theologiae of Aquinas without preparation, for example, and most of us will end up using it for a paperweight. This book does for philosophy what Windows for Dummies did for computers. 
In clear, easy-to-understand language, Wheat takes us through the great thinkers in philosophy. The Scottish Rite constantly enjoins the study of philosophy upon its members, but that's far more easily said than done. This book not only makes an understanding of the philosophers in their work easy, it makes it fun. Experts in philosophy will find it limited and simplistic, but it isn't written for them. The rest of us will find it a breath of fresh air. Tales of the Knights Templar, edited by Catherine Kurtz. This lady has become one of my favorite writers. I've recommended her book, Two Crowns for America, a historic fantasy in which she links Freemasonry to the founding of the country. She does her research and knows more about the traditions of women in Masonry than most Masons. Her Adept series is a delight to read for those who enjoy a warrior magus as well as warrior monks in their fantasy. In the book of short stories, she brings together nine tales by very diverse authors. The works are fantasy, but her introductions and notes between the stories form a good capsule history of the Order of the Temple. If you like a flight of imagination, you'll like this. The following book reviews are from the August 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. And the title of this section of book reviews is called The Long Road to Here by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree Grand Cross. Rich is our heritage and proud our descent. This month, we pay special attention to the craftsmen of the Middle Ages. Some of these books are not about the fraternity, but the workers from which, many of us believe, masonry evolved. Some will be a little hard to find, but they will be worth the effort. Ken Follett, Pillars of the Earth. This is a novel set in the Middle Ages. The main character is a stonemason who ends up in charge of the rebuilding of a major church. It is a hard book to put down. If you like mystery, intrigue, or just a remarkably clear picture of daily life during one of the periods of turmoil in the Middle Ages, you'll like this book. I've read it twice in the last couple of years, and I'm sure I'll read it again. It's hardly a romanticized version. The pain and dirt are there, along with the glory and triumph. If you don't know much about the Middle Ages and want an introduction that's not only painless but also enjoyable, you could not do better. The next book is Ken Follett, Pillars of the Almighty, a celebration of cathedrals. The book is by the same Ken Follett who wrote the novel above. Far from a novel, though, this is a beautiful book of photographs and information about the great cathedrals. The photographer is F. Stop Fitzgerald, and my friends accuse me of making a bad puns. It's a fine coffee table book, but it's much more. The text and photos help you recapture the beauty and spirit of the Middle Ages. It's worth the trouble to try to find it. And finally, by Nicola Coldstream, Medieval Craftsmen, Masons, and Sculptors. The only fault I have to find with this beautiful little book is that Miss Coldstream knows nothing about the fraternity or its relationship to the medieval guilds, an unfortunate oversight for a scholar in the area. Nevertheless, this is a book well worth having. It is filled with full-color illustrations taken from medieval manuscripts showing the work of the stonemasons and the tools they used. There is additional information about the actual structure and the construction of the cathedrals and the carved stone which ornamented them. For anyone interested in our operative Masonic traditions, this is a good book to have as part of a general resource library. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.